Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. Whether you are a student prepping for tests and boards or a CRNA here to earn CEUs, we are glad you've joined us. For more about us, make sure to check us out on Instagram at Core Anesthesia and online at coreanesthesia.com. Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. I'm Cole here with Tanner. Today we're going to have a little bit different of a discussion. Rather than go through a anesthesia topic, Tanner and I wanted to take some time just to talk about our backgrounds, what led us to anesthesia, what led us to starting this podcast, and really what our story is. So Tanner, do you just want to start off and just talk about your nursing background, what led you into nursing, what led you into anesthesia, and what brought you to where you are today? Yeah, so I got into the ICU right out of undergrad. I worked at a hospital that I went to for my clinicals, and I just kept in contact with some of the staff there and was able and fortunate enough to get an ICU right after school. CRNA or anesthesia really wasn't anywhere on my radar. I don't know about you when you first went into nursing, but it really wasn't even on my mind. Um, Initially, I thought about doing dentistry and there was uh, somebody that I grew up with whose dad was our family dentist. And he told me if I really wasn't sure about dentistry or sure about that field that I should do nursing because from nursing, there's just so many other options that you can pursue down the road. And so I took him up on it. Nobody in my family is medical, but I thought, hey, why not? So I did nursing and then ended up being fortunate enough to get into an ICU right out of school. I worked at a uh, cardiac medical ICU. So main thing that we did was cardiac stuff. We didn't do any like open hearts or things like that. It was mostly if we had somebody that was like a cardiac arrest or if they had uh, STEMI. So it was, it was more of like a CCU combined with uh, medical ICU. So we still had people with sepsis and things like that. It was a good experience. I worked there for two years and then I did traveling, which uh, my wife is a NICU nurse. So we did traveling nursing together and loved it. We did that for about two years before I went back to anesthesia school. But I thought that those first two years at a hospital that took very sick patients was very helpful. But still, it wasn't even until I was traveling that I was considering anesthesia school. I don't know about you when you started thinking about actually doing anesthesia, but it was pretty late in the game for me before I thought of this as kind of a field. Right. And I'm a little bit different in terms of my journey to anesthesia. So I was an athlete all my life. I was a big runner and then a basketball player in high school. And I had some injuries in high school where I had to get physical therapy and deal with some sports medicine doctors throughout my four years in high school. And this kind of led me to pursuing a degree in physical therapy. So I went to a D1 university in central Illinois where I ran cross country and track and was studying to be a physical therapist. And I really got to have some good experience with the trainers through our athletic program to the point where I really wanted to do something along the lines of sports rehabilitation and physical therapy for athletes. However, the more I job shadowed throughout my college career, the more I realized that the general public for physical therapy wasn't quite as motivated, I guess you can say, as from my mind of an athlete where I was striving to get better right off the bat and so I can get back into my competition. And I guess for lack of better words, I just really didn't enjoy some of the population of patients I got to 
interact with when I was job shadowing. And I really didn't feel like I wanted to do physical therapy in general. I wanted to do something specific with sports medicine. And so that kind of changed my route to wanting to be a sports medicine doctor. And I then switched my degree to pre-medicine and I started studying for the MCAT my junior year of college. And I got to go on a medical missions trip down to Nicaragua with a group of people from my university. And while we were there, we opened up small clinics in one-room schoolhouses, little church buildings on the middle of villages in remote locations. And it really was eye-opening to me just to see not only how desperate these people were for physical medical attention, but really opened my eyes to the fact that these people would just line. I mean, I'm not kidding you. Hundreds of people would line out the door to get access to whatever medical care that we had. And it wasn't always from a physical standpoint. It was a lot of just, they needed emotional care, spiritual care, physical care, mental care, et cetera. And it really opened my eyes to the idea of holistic care of patients. And when I got back into the States, I really kind of was conflicted with the idea of having to finish my undergrad, go to four more years of med school, do residency, et cetera, before I really started getting into my own practice. And that kind of switched my eyes to nursing because I could finish nursing in one more year at my university and really start taking care of patients holistically right off the bat. And so I switched to nursing at that point. At the same time, my uncle was a CRNA and I dropped shot on him a little bit when I switched to the nursing route. And I immediately fell in love with anesthesia. When I was still getting my undergraduate nursing degree is really when I was introduced to anesthesia and fell in love with it and basically developed the plan that I wanted to graduate, work in the ICU, and then go back to school and become a nurse anesthetist. So I was a little bit different from Tanner in the fact that I knew before I got out of school that that's what I wanted to do. So I jumped right into a medical ICU position when I graduated, worked there for a couple of years. Very, very grateful for the experience I got there. It was at a level one trauma center, and I got to experience a lot of very sick patients in terms of ventilator care, in terms of different lung diseases. I really feel like I got prepared a lot for anesthesia school. I did not get to a lot. Of, I did not get a lot of cardiac experience, unfortunately. That's something I would have liked to have more of. But I really feel like I was prepared well in my ICU experience prior to going back to anesthesia school. So basically what I'm getting from all of that is you had like a very thought out process, very good experiences that ride in anesthesia. And my path was more like, uh, this is just where I ended up after going through a bunch of different things and people telling me, eh, just try nursing. But I mean, realistically, we all come to it from different spots. And so, uh, I think the time frame from me deciding I wanted to do anesthesia to applying for school was like three months. I was on a contract in California and my wife and I were just talking about what we wanted our future to look like and uh, kind of some work-life balance and what raising a family looked like. And I had shadowed some CRNAs when I was in school and it was something that I had known about, but I also at the same time really loved ICU nursing, I really enjoyed having sick patients, having hands-on experience with a problem and needing to, you know, actually do things to create solutions instead of, I didn't really like the idea of, of writing orders or of kind of directing care from a hands-off approach. I really enjoyed actually doing the tasky things. And so this is kind of what 
married the two together for me for anesthesia was that I could advance my career. I could have some more career opportunities, but then I was still day in and day out having patient interaction and doing things to, you know, actually be involved with patient care. So I didn't know that about you, that you did physical therapy before you did pre-med. I knew you did pre-med, but I did not all started from physical therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Physical therapy was the original thing I went into out of school, but don't let Tanner confuse you. His life was pretty good before he went to anesthesia school. I hear well, stories I mean, about traveling all across the country, skiing right. different places, surfing. I've been stuck in cornfields my entire life. <laughs> I'm not saying it wasn't good. I'm just saying it was very less planned out than yours was. But for all of you travel nurses out there, I miss it every single day for doing travel nursing. And that's something that I hope to get back to when I graduate to be able to do some locum positions and things like that after I get a few years of experience. But I mean, that's what's so great about being a CRNA is that you can still do just such a variety of things as you could with being an ICU nurse. Right, for sure. So you want to just talk a little bit about family life with school and kind of where we're at with family life? Yeah, for Danny and I, it was very different. I mean, we were travel nurses for two years. We were used to you know, up and moving every three months and taking a new contract. And then we moved away for school and we moved closer to family, but it's been pretty different. I mean, school just takes so much time for being at clinical or studying. Even when you're home, you still have half your brain on school or what you need to do for the next day. It's been a very different experience for us just because we were so used to moving so frequently that even if we were in an area that we didn't really love, you know, we knew it was just short term. So being somewhere for three years and kind of grinding it out every single day has been definitely an adjustment for us. Yeah. And for me and my wife, we're a little bit different in the fact that we did not have to move. I live about an hour away from our school. And so we chose just to stay where we were and I would commute, which sounded glamorous at the time that we wouldn't have to move. It's been rough to have to drive an hour each way pretty much every day, but yeah, you know, you, you make the best of it. It becomes your new normal. Uh, so my wife, Paige, and I, we decided to have our first child about six months before I started the program. And so my son, Theo, was born. Uh, he was, again, six months old when we started. And so the first half of the program was pretty rough from the standpoint of I was used to being gone all the time. I was always a very busy person. And while anesthesia school is very time consuming and busy, the way our program set up, the first half of it is a lot of didactic work where you're studying a lot at home. And I wasn't necessarily gone for full days on end. It would be a couple hours of class and then the rest would be doing busy work at home. And so it was very difficult to kind of find that balance of, I'm home, but I'm not really home and available to help my wife out with my son just because I had so much busy work to do. And that was definitely a transition for us. And now, especially that my son is two and a half is now the point where I come home each day and he's just begging to play with me. And it's been a tough transition in terms of how much work and studying to do at home versus staying longer hours at the hospital, getting my stuff done before I come home, et cetera. 
so that's been a, a big transition. And um, I, again, I'm thankful I'm getting it done when he is still young. And now we have another one on the way, which will be here in May. So hopefully now that we've figured out how to transition through having a small child at home while I'm in school, this will be yeah. better. But Man, I can't even imagine. But I think that, again, just goes to show that there's no one way to do anesthesia school. Everybody has different experiences, has different things that they're bringing to the table as they go through school. I would say nobody thinks it's easy for whatever you know stage of life they're in and anesthesia school tends to put strain on you know whatever again stage of life you're in and just the amount of time it takes but uh no one way that you have to do it or you don't have to you know check all these boxes to be ready for anesthesia school um people do it in all different stages so i think for us the thing that we weren't really prepared for was like you said, that first year and a half when it was mostly didactic, I had quite a bit of time at home uh, while Danny was at work. And so that was just kind of an adjustment. I was still, you know, working or studying when I was at home, but it was very different than what I anticipated coming into anesthesia school. I was thinking I was just going to be away for, you know, 12 hours of the day. And then you kind of get into a rhythm after a year and a half of doing that. And then clinicals start and it's like your world gets flipped upside down. Now you really are gone for 10, 12 hours of the day. And this has just been the new normal. And so uh, I think we're finally kind of getting into stride again with the change of pace. But it's definitely been an adjustment as you go through the different stages of school. So do you do you think that kind of going back to experience, you mentioned that you worked in medical ICU, which sounds pretty much like what I worked in for my main experience. I did different things for traveling, different ICUs and things like that. But do you feel like you were at any disadvantage? You mentioned that maybe you wish you had a little more cardiac coming into school, but do you feel like there were things that you're missing from your nursing experience? Besides the specific patient population of cardiac or neuro or surgical. No, I I honestly can say my unit provided the patients that gave me the opportunity to manage ventilators, do a lot of titrations. We had a lot of septic shocks. So I had to do a lot of pressure support, titrating those medications back and forth, a lot of sedations. And really, I feel like that prepared me honestly, the best for anesthesia rather than necessarily having neuro patients, cardiac patients, et cetera, just from the standpoint of, I was telling somebody that I worked with in the ICU just the other day that's thinking about going back to school. And I was telling them, in all honesty, anesthesia is very similar to ICU nursing in the fact that we titrate medications constantly throughout the case, just like we would in the ICU setting. We're managing a ventilator just like we would have been in the ICU setting the difference is it's better in my opinion because there's more autonomy. You're the one that mm-hmm. gets to place the tube. You're the one that gets to decide what medications you use. And so I feel like it's really doing the same things that we did in the ICU just on a bigger scale. And so I feel like I was pre- prepared from the standpoint of I knew how to titrate medications and I knew how to manage somebody on a ventilator. And I feel like those are the two biggest things. If you're able to do that, and you're able to understand monitors and how to assess patients through monitoring, I really feel like that's the biggest thing that you need 
prior to going back to school, rather than necessarily having X amount of cardiac patients, X amount of neuro patients, surgical patients, et cetera. Right. I'm convinced that it doesn't matter in what ICU you work in, because regardless when you come to anesthesia school, you're going to have a knowledge gap. Like you're, it doesn't matter what ICU you work in, you're not going to have all the information that you need for anesthesia school. When you go back to your advanced physio, advanced anatomy, when you go back to some of your other classes, especially your anesthesia classes, you know, it's all, it's all new. It's all different. It's all more advanced than what you got in the ICU. But I do think that learning to critically think and to make connections, like you said, even just reading monitors and, you know, instead of just taking things for granted, asking questions, trying to understand your, you know, pulmonary artery waveforms, trying to understand your arterial lines, trying to understand these different monitors, what they're telling you. I think getting into the practice of critically thinking and being creative, suggesting things to the care team as far as management of your patient, those are the things that really are beneficial for you as you go back to anesthesia school, because that's what you're doing in a case. You know, you're looking at different things and you need to be thinking creatively about, well, how am I going to manage this? And you also need to be thinking ahead about where the case is going to try to get ahead of some of those you know, hemodynamic changes. And so I think whatever ICU you're working in, more than strict information is having the trait of being creative in your problem solving, not just, you know, doing the bare minimum, but showing up and, you know, thinking about solutions to problems, advocating for your patients. Those are the things that I feel like are more beneficial than regardless of what I see working. Yeah, that's a really good point. So the point of that is if you're currently considering going back to anesthesia school and you're not sure if you have enough experience or if you have the right patient population that you're taking care of to prepare you for that, uh, just keep those things in mind that it, that really try to be assertive and ask those questions. Don't just follow suit with doctor's orders, but try to think ahead, try to interpret your lab values and what would be the next step, et cetera, and just to get that assertiveness and um, try to gain experience from that standpoint. I honestly think, I know frequently being a travel nurse is sometimes kind of diminished on applications or maybe is not looked at as favorably as being a staff nurse and having charge experience and those types of things that you would gain with being a staff nurse. But some of the things that I thought that I gained from being a travel nurse was just having you know that decision-making or that forward-thinking development because I was working with different care teams. I was working with different coworkers. So it often kind of fell on your shoulders, not that they weren't going to manage the patient appropriately, but you just weren't familiar with that care team. You didn't know how it was going to be managed. So there was constantly questions that were coming up in your mind, things that you needed to ask, things that you needed to clarify. So I think I really developed in that as I did my travel nursing experience compared to when I was a staff nurse. And so you may not be taking the sickest patient on the floor as a traveler because you're new. They're still getting to know you, but it doesn't have to prevent you from going to the sickest patient on the floor, being in their room, helping out with that nurse, having a conversation about you know what's going on. And then again, just developing in that critical thinking and forward thinking. Again, I, I really strongly believe it has less to do with where you worked and more to do with your personality, your drive, 
and your problem solving, things like that. Let's get in now to what led us into this podcast. For me, I can still remember this. It was a couple days before Thanksgiving 2019. And I remember we were in the middle of our first semester of core anesthesia classes. And throughout that semester, Tanner and I had started calling each other, I think probably a couple days before the test. And we were just study partners, but remotely just because we did not live close to each other. You kind of live the other direction from school and I lived an hour in the opposite direction. So mm-hmm. we didn't really ever get together in person, but we would call each other and just talk about the topics. And just, I remember you would bring up a lot of points that I had neglected to focus on and brought to my attention and vice versa. And then it seemed to really help on the test. And so I remember we got to a couple of days before Thanksgiving and we had our last class and we we're going to go on a couple of day break for Thanksgiving. And we both said, man, we both have the same kind of personality in terms of wanting to do something to help others, uh, to have a little bit more of a entrepreneurship kind of attitude towards something. And we just, we wanted to do something while we were going through school. We just didn't quite know what that was. And so we both said we were going to go on our Thanksgiving break and really think about it and get back to each other on the following week. And I remember distinctly, you told me on that, that first day back that you just felt this idea that we should do a podcast. And that's the exact feeling that I had. And we, we both had not talked about this prior, but we both had that same feeling that we should turn our discussions into a podcast. And I don't know if you remember that conversation at all, if that's how you remember it, but that's kind of what yeah, no, comes for to sure. my mind. But I remember thinking it was just like stupid because it was just you and I talking about our, you know, tests or whatever and studying and surely nobody would be interested in a podcast. At that point though, we had started rec- recording a little bit of our talks just so we could listen to them. And they were like an hour and a half long, full of 20 minutes of actual content. It was just awful, but we'd send that to our classmates and some of them had said that was helpful. And so we had started kind of thinking about this idea of, you know, what if we put in a little more effort and streamline this thing a little bit, mainly though for our effort, because I remember that was around Thanksgiving. We were having our finals, you know, coming up in a month or so. And we would talk about things that we had talked about two weeks ago. And I was like, I, it's like, I've never even studied it. You know, it's crazy how fast that stuff just leaves your mind. If you're not continually looking at it or studying it. Oh yeah. I will be the first to agree to that. It's, it's unbelievable how you get onto a, a new unit and at least half the information from the previous test is already out of your head. Right. And if you don't use it, I mean, you just lose it. I've heard that saying so many times, but it's just so true, especially in anesthesia where you're just getting pounded with so much information. It's just one, hard to keep up with it for the current test. And then two, the thought of retaining all that information in that amount of detail two years later when you're going to be taking boards was just kind of mind boggling. And I wanted a way that really just for Tanner and I, that we could listen to when we were driving to clinical back and forth, you know, a couple months before boards, our last semester that we could just refresh on all the information because our brains knew it the best right before the test. And if we could just record ourselves talking through everything, 
when we've already put in the work and we're ready for the test, then we can take advantage of our minds in that state and freeze time, if you will, and then listen to that later. So that's kind of really how we started recording them in that semester. And then our classmates kind of got a hold of it and we decided to make them more professional and more uh, publishable, if you will. And so I believe it was what, February of 2020 that we actually published our first episode, I believe. Yeah. And 15 and just, people listened to it. That was incredible. <laughs> I we remember were, we were shocked. We were like, 15 people are listening. It's insane. I remember when we hit 100 and we thought we were like, we could not believe 100 people actually yeah. wanted to listen to us. And then starting to see where the listeners were. And I think now we're up to almost 80 different countries that we have listeners. I mean, I didn't even realize there were anesthesia providers in 80 different countries, <laughs> let alone 80 countries to begin with. Well, I remember, I remember the first day that somebody from Georgia, I distinctly remember that, not the country, the state, Georgia, had listened to our podcast. And I was like, what is somebody in Georgia doing listening to our podcast? You know, it was just, uh, at that point, it was still just kind of silly and felt awkward that we were even doing this. It's been quite the journey to see where it's gone and to see how it's resonated with people. So honestly, that is all just a bonus. We're thankful for all of that. Ultimately and and initially, it was just meant to help us, help us prepare for tests and then also help us review as we prepare for boards. So uh, it's just been a really cool journey to see where it's gone and just excited to have your support as we move forward with the podcast. Yeah, hopefully this was a nice break from jam-packed anesthesia content. Uh, Tanner and I would like to do some more of these in terms of the life of an anesthesia student, whether that be how to get through the didactic portion, how to get through the clinical portion, how to approach going to different clinical sites every few weeks, having new preceptors every day, just interacting with different people and really just some of those day-to-day struggles that anesthesia providers go through, especially from the student standpoint. If you guys have anything specifically that you would like us to talk about, feel free to reach out to us. Let us know. We'd be more than happy to look at different ideas or topics that we can do episodes on. So again, just thank you guys so much for all the support that you've given us. It's just been incredible just to see how much of an impact this podcast has been. Tanner and I would have never dreamed that it would have this type of an impact. So again, just thank you guys so much. And if you guys have anything else you want us to add, honestly, feel free to reach out to us. 